0: You got to be shitting me right, this has to be a joke, this absolutely has to be a joke.
1: This is easily one of the best films of the year.
0: The winner is from South Korea, I thought it was best foreign film no. to win, but it could have been Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story, 1917, Ford v Ferrari, Little Way, I don't give a shit, but fucking Parasite?
1: It's one of my favorite movies of the year, and I'm going to give
0: Parasite an A+. All
2: right, well, hello, guys and gals. Welcome to Midweek Matinee. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss a particular film that we've rolled the dice to choose. Every week, I'm joined by Brett. Hello. Chris. Yeah, we'll say oh. And Joshua. Uh, I'm so confused.
1: Did
3: Chris just say words there, or? The, uh, I sense. did. I was <laughs> I swear, trying to figure that out. Okay, we, we watched Parasite and i just said hello in korean i did extra work for this shit let's go (laughs) i'm proud of you but also
0: a little forewarning would have been you know nice (laughs) yeah am i gonna get subtitles
2: for that later or we'll put it in the description below
0: (laughs) we should microsoft sam him out i'm just gonna dub over everything he said (laughs) my full english behind his full english
3: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, be hilarious. Well, as you can tell, this week
2: we are the film we chose is a uh, Parasite, which is what four-time Oscar winner this year. Yes, yeah, sir. incredible. And this is officially the spoiler warning. We're a spoiler podcast, and we will spoil the film starting now. So,
0: could you believe the ending? I'm kidding. <laughs> I can't believe he inherits all of Samsung. Yes, it's wild. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so
2: just I guess we could start out with what everyone thought of the film. Do you want to go first, Figs or Chris? I didn't mention, I didn't intro you as Figs, but Chris and Figs are the same person.
3: Chris Figs, yes. <laughs> uh, I loved the movie. Um, I think it was probably my second favorite movie of last year, but the best movie I saw of last year, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. I would put Avengers because I had one of the best experiences of my life seeing that movie. But Parasite is by far a better movie. And I just couldn't believe the whole thing. It was brilliant.
2: What about you, Joshua? What did you think of it overall? Uh,
1: I, I I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I feel grateful to... Obviously, I'm still watching it after. There's been a lot of hype about it. But I feel grateful to have seen it still... Mostly getting to form my own opinions about it, but uh, I feel like this movie is going to have really long legs as far as discussion about it. and I, I could see this movie being like a film equivalent to something like Animal Farm, where it's like a piece of media that we go to for its commentary on society and politics and power. and uh, in that way, i I hope it doesn't kind of lose its meaning by being kind of like repetitiously visited for that but that's that's how impactful I feel like it is I feel like it's it's that level of like social critique Uh, so I I I loved it
0: what about you Brett coming off of a very very different movie Scarface um and the only movie I watched in between being How to Train Your Dragon 3 um (laughs) (laughs) it was it was interesting. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and, and actually, I do see a lot of what Josh was talking about. And I, I do want to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but my bigger thing is, you know, I do agree that we got to come into it, or at least I did as well uh, as Josh. Got to come into it in a way where I mostly could form my own opinions and didn't have too much of expectation going in. Um, but I, everything that it did, from what I had heard, the little bit that I kind of knew about it, it was uh, a, a lot more subtly done than I ex- anticipated, mm-hmm. uh, which I actually think is to the movie's credit. Uh, but yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Uh, and this is just a side note for me, someone who loves subtitles and video games but still wants to be able to hear what's going on. So I, I prefer, you know, even if it's a Japanese game, I prefer an English dub. Uh, in a movie like this, I was... Really surprised that at no point in time I found myself annoyed by the subtitles, so just a uh, a strength to the movie nice,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely i um I pretty much agree with all of you guys. I put it fifth in mind, so I don't necessarily agree with second on Chris's, but you know that's whatever that's here and there, but um yeah, I think that like Joshua said it's I think this will go down in history like and be critically acclaimed, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and I think it will be talked about for its themes. And I went into it knowing a lot of its themes already, thanks to Twitter. So I didn't know any spoilers. I didn't know what happened. I didn't know any of the plot twists or anything like that. But I knew it was basically about, like, poverty and wealth, like, disparity or whatever. So Mm -hmm. a little bit of that was spoiled. But, I mean, that's, you know, you can't go in completely blind anymore almost. It's really hard to
0: anyways. I wouldn't consider it too much of a spoiler to essentially (laughs) just know, like, like, a general theme that the movie brushes against definitely since the way right. it chooses to do it is very, uh, different than I think expectation would build just from that sentence alone.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I don't know which one of y'all wants to go first, but what are some of the, I guess the themes that, I mean, we've already talked about them, but what do you think of the themes? I guess would it would be a better question since we've already basically said them. Um, I, I'd be down to speak on that.
1: I, I felt a really interesting connection to this, uh, You know, working, I'm really curious to hear, I imagine you guys probably have similar experiences too, but um, for me, like an aspiring musician who uh, has done a lot of jobs where you're sort of in service of someone more established than yourself and there's a lot of decorum around your status in your field. Um, And it's certainly like music is way less serious than, you know, business is, of course, but there was some similar sort of overlap, I guess, as far as like, You know, there's a lot of paying your dues and a lot of feeling like you're kind of just grinding away to make someone else's quality of life, like unattainably amazing. And it's kind of like a, just a totally separate experience of what reality is. Um, And it's, it's really interesting seeing how this movie addresses that. And, you know, the the feelings of, you know, I I don't want to jump immediately to spoilers or anything, but I guess that feeling of, initially that there's like that pleasantness about it where you're almost like, Oh, I'm grateful to be part of this. And it's like, you're vicariously living through that experience almost of like, Oh, I get to drive the nice car. I don't get to sit in the back of the nice car, but I'm still in the nice car. And just all of those sort of feelings of like, you know, or like when you're looking through the window on the nice party in the backyard and it's like, Oh, I'm sort of getting to be an accessory to this moment, I guess. And it's sort of like a weird, like, I don't know, just this weird, like Hmm. thing that I think makes you, Uh, double take, like, how much are you really getting out of this thing that's not for you, that you're sort of just setting up and then going away afterward for the other people to enjoy?
3: I just, I think it's interesting that you brought up the car because I'm listening to you talk about it and I'm seeing it in a different light where I thought the line uh, when, you know, the stuff happens to the driver, Yoon, and I thought the line was really funny of why couldn't he do it in his seat? (laughs) But then, like, the way you said it, It kind of put the line in a different perspective to me which is interesting because i i didn't take the movie the same way you guys did Mm -hmm. and but like when you said that and then i really thought about like oh well his seat is the front seat you know it it kind of just Mm -hmm. changed it a little bit to me i still don't necessarily see it the same way but i think kind of putting it in that perspective almost like really kind of sells the point you
0: guys are making
3: for me anyway
0: and it's yeah i i think oh sorry josh i don't want to interrupt
1: oh i'll I'll make this quick then uh i think it's interesting with like a luxury car like that where it's it's almost a limousine and there's something about like the front seat that's like like a, a commuter car where it's your car and it's like yeah i'm driving this badass car it's like the seat the front seat is the seat of power but when you're driving a nice car like that chauffeuring somebody else around it's it's like the servant's chair and you're it's like the the seat of labor and you're just sort of the person in the back is in power and they don't have to do anything. And that's how powerful they are is they don't even have to work. And it's, I don't know. It's really interesting, but I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brett.
0: No, it's okay. And I'm glad you even brought that up because there's something else I have, or really it's in, in response to what you were saying. And I'm sorry if I clear my throat too much. I've been a little sick today. Um, but uh, one of the things about the car that I found really interesting are really about what you were talking about in reference to the car mm. and this whole idea of like unrealistic expectation in, in, in all of these random aspects where there are, here's a rich family, a rich group of people who uh, are seemingly very nice as you are introduced to them in this movie. Um, and in a lot of ways, they, they are not that bad but you end up seeing them through a different lens eventually. But what I thought was really interesting about that is, you're right, a lot of this was like, okay, well, this is essentially living and punching people into a job where their their goal and their expectation is to never fail, never falter. And it's amazing to me how the plot throughout the movie, it's so easy for this family to come in and do what they've done because all they're doing is manipulating that perfection expectation that is so unrealistic. And, and a lot of people do have that in real life to mm-hmm. the extent that, it's uh, of course in this being Korea. It's it's not going to be a direct parable to anything there, but you know, bringing it closer to home. I know so many people who, the moment they go through a drive-through for something as simple as fast food and something as you know. You get in, you get out, and there's not a lot of frill about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But they get so upset if their order's even the most minute level of wrong, as in there's no possibility that someone who is working very hard to make your life easier can make a mistake without seeing the – the teeth of the people that are potentially seeing the teeth of the people that they mess uh, order upon. i know a couple people who are like that and i always try and pull them away from it because i think it's so ridiculous um you know the expectation that the movie kind of deals with is are you telling me that no job should have no margin for error should every job be specifically perfect and the movie kind of plays on that by how quickly they're rolling through all these people just because they can't meet that unrealistic um expectation uh now touching on what you were talking about with the car in terms of the seat of power thing i think that's interesting because you see parallels of that in a very different way from for the very different side of life so people definitely around where i live but this is potentially possible around where you live too it's something about you know smaller cities and smaller towns um taxis kind of exist as the flip side of that uh it's the, the taxi driver Is I I wouldn't call it in the seat of power, but it's funny that the taxi is almost like the great equalizer of the opposing situation. So the situation of the the man of power sitting in the back and telling the man up front to go because he's paying him is a little Mm. different, even though on paper it's essentially the same thing with a taxi of, hey, you know, this is people who can't afford a vehicle for whatever reason, definitely in smaller towns. New York's a little different, but in smaller hometowns, uh, it's funny how that can kind of be the flip side it's like you know taxis often uh, are seen as uh, definitely even in old media they used to be they're seen as kind of older vehicles broken down and something that t- people who just don't have the means use as a way of of transportation uh, and it's just an odd flip of the power seat idea of having an actual sofa so- sure that's a that's a good comment
2: still think about what chris said so chris you don't agree with uh like what we took away from the film and that's fine, well, but I was just curious what you
3: kind of took away from it. I want to hear what you guys have to say in more depth, because I'm just going off a quick little synopsis. and I don't know. It's, to me, I don't know what it, what it is, but I kind of... I don't know. I kind of saw this as a movie about the difference between desperation and not desperation. But I also feel like... I don't know. I kind of don't... I kind of don't feel like the... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm struggling with a way to say it. I think the rich people are being kind of used as this, oh, well, they were bad and they did this stuff. And to me, I just saw it as a normal power dynamic between employee and employer. And I, I can see where everything else comes from, but I guess I've been in the service industry for a decade, and a lot of the ways that uh Mr. Park spoke to Mr. Kim, to me that was kinda like I, I, I heard some of the stuff that Mr. Kim was saying to Mr. Park when Mr. Park got angry and I was kinda like, Well you kinda earned that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't see it in a way that I feel like and I could be totally extrapolating out of nothing here that a lot of people see it where, you know, the the rich family or the poor family could be considered the parasite. To me, in a lot of ways, the rich family was insensitive and indifferent to the problems of their their employer of their employees, but they were also the victims. You know mm-hmm. they they were. You could make an argument that they were victimizing. I wouldn't make that argument, but I know that you could. But sure. I think that they were providing they were providing this family with their livelihood and a significantly better one than the one they had. That this family got through deceit, and I understand why they did the deceit. I rooted for that family, you know. I would have, I, I would wanted them the whole time to succeed. But I also put in my notes that this family doesn't give a shit about the consequences of others either. Right. They ruin. Mm-hmm. What happened? Uh, I
1: was what just you about to with say?
3: You. Oh, Okay, sorry. They ruin a woman's entire life. They ruin. You know, Yoon will be fine, but obviously. The other woman was not, you know, the old housekeeper. I don't remember her name. I apologize. Mm-hmm. They destroyed her life for their benefit. Whereas you look at the rich people and the rich people, the parks enriched the family's lives. But they also treated them like employees. And to me, that kind of just seems like a normal, everyday balance of power. You know, Mr. Mm-hmm. Park hired you. You made a snide comment, a comment he took as snide, and you and you pissed him off, so he reprima- reprimanded you as a boss. But I found Mr. Park to be a genuinely warm man, and mm. I think that he actually gave as much of a shit as a man in his position can give about Mr. Park, or Mr. Kim. So to me, like, I understand where everything, I understand why the movie culminated the way it did. But watching that movie, I felt nothing but sorrow for the parks. Like I felt like their lives were destroyed, and in a way that wasn't fair to them, despite how I think the movie kind of wanted to portray it.
0: Okay, well, before we go too much further, I think we should probably take a step back and kind of break some of these things up, because one of the things that we're going to get into is it's going to be hard to counterpoint i think you made a lot of really interesting points and 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 showed a lot of interesting viewpoints Mm -hmm. and i have some thoughts of my own and i'm sure josh probably has some thoughts of his own about how our viewpoint probably differed or where it does align with yours i'd love to hear them yeah for sure since i'm already talking i guess i'll go ahead and go and then uh, and then let josh and, and blake have their turn at it as well um One of the things that you mentioned that I want to go ahead and talk about and then we can kind of go around the table on it and I'll try and keep up with them uh, is I love that you actually did bring up the fact that the name of the movie. It's one of my favorite things about this. The name of the movie is on so many different layers of the movie. Uh, Mm. It's it's never clear what if the title is aimed at a specific person or if it's really aimed at everyone, because realistically, when you look at it, the, the, the starting family. Uh, does become some somewhat of a parasite just trying to live and increase their life off the backs of the Park family, right. right? Then you also have the Park family who are trying to enrich their lives in a very different manner by having this perfection that they want from these employees and doing so sometimes without too much thought about what's going on with them. And you see that in the fact that the Park's seldom ever talk to them as if they're people they talk to them as if they're employees like you were talking about yeah. there's not really there was no chance for them to learn that they were all family members because the park showed no interest in who they were as people outside of their ability to be a good employee um and then of course lastly what i love about it is it's also the flip side of the parasite that's introduced when you understand that the previous uh homeowner or the previous housekeeper uh moon guang i think was her name i think you're correct And she was, you know, you you start understanding that she was a parasite in a very different way. And her husband definitely was too, though. Her husband had this sick, twisted sense of, how he was paying his due forward uh, Mm. with this idea of respect towards Mr. Park and then lastly as the movie ends the father becomes a parasite in a different means of the way Uh, so yeah very multi-layered in that does anybody else have thoughts on that yeah I I wanted
2: to say uh, Blake, go ahead I've talked enough okay I was gonna say um, I think the guy that lived in the basement was almost literally a parasite Mm -hmm. like to the house Yep, like Mm -hmm. he just lived into the family because he like lived in inside of their house it was like basically feeding off of them, you know, their food and stuff, not literally, but...
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I
2: agree. Yeah, I i think you brought up, like Brett said, Chris, I think you brought up a lot of good points, and I don't necessarily disagree with everything. Yeah. I think that you're right in a lot of those aspects, and I think that uh, even where I don't dis, no, don't necessarily agree, I think that you're not wrong there either, you know? Yeah, I... I think art is going to be taken differently by different people, too. So yeah. I don't think anybody is legitimately wrong for seeing something that they see out of a movie. No, yeah. and that's
3: why I'm curious about your guys' take because I feel like there is an entirely different way to view this. And I don't know why I view it the way I do, but I view it what I feel like is the complete opposite of the quote-unquote mainstream way to view this movie. And that doesn't take away from the movie if anything, that makes me like it more. But I do want to know why from people I, I trust their opinions on why you feel this way? Because I don't see it personally so far.
0: Well, let's let's let Josh kind of hop in and see what he has to say because I have something in in response to that, but I want to see if Josh addresses it naturally. Uh,
1: sure. So, uh, a thing that I think for me kind of explained, Chris. I, I think you're viewing it differently. Is you working in food service? I think
2: mm-hmm.
1: food service can be a very different type of like it's a very different work experience than a lot of other fields and it's, it's very incredibly demanding at all times and yeah i, I say this as somebody who like my, my best friend works in food service and loves it he thrives in that you know he really uh thrives in like the camaraderie with your co-workers and it's it's like mm-hmm. a family you're maintaining this thing together and right. to me i just have such a bad poker face when like like I, I don't care if your thing is slightly wrong. If you're flying like off the handle about it, like if your thing is like a little bit messed up, and you know you're you're being like kind and genuine about it, then sure, I will happily do everything I can to make it right. But the second any mm. customer like ever, you know, gets entitled about it, I immediately am like, "Fuck you! I'm doing nothing for you."
3: Um, <laughs> I it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think that's and that's definitely something where. I can tell just by the way you're saying that that you haven't been in the business. I don't mean that as any offense, but like when you go out there and you have a customer. My dad. This is a story. I'll derail a little bit quick just to mm. explain the point. My dad had a woman who came into his restaurant and goes to him, uh, sir. These croutons are stale. <laughs> croutons are stale. That's just the croutons. <laughs> right. And my dad goes my dad goes, okay, ma'am, you know, that's no problem. We're going to get you new croutons. Take care of you. You take care of you. And he comes back in the kitchen. He goes, look at what this fucking idiot just said to me. (laughs) You know? So you you put on the smile and then you go back. Guess what? This fucking idiot at table two didn't like her fucking steak. It's cooked fucking perfect. (laughs) Fuck that bitch. (laughs) And then you grab the new steak. Go. Oh, ma'am, we recooked you that steak. I hope it's great for you ma'am, if there's anything else I can do for you, my name is Chris. Please mm. come and get me. And then yeah. you go back and you go, fuck that bitch. And then you never see her <laughs> again. That's how, that's how it works. That's how customer service works. And I think that's... I don't, I don't mean to keep speaking, but <laughs> I think that's one of the big things that I had a problem with with that movie is like, you guys went home. Nah, Miss Park is such a fucking idiot. They have that conversation once, but you would think after all the bullshit they take, they would want to vet Cause that's really all it is. is—is just venting about the bullshit. Yeah. And they didn't do that, which seemed a little odd. To me.
1: Yeah. That, that, that part makes sense. I think, I think it's totally like a different strokes kind of thing. Some people n- can hang with that kind of thing. And I just, I personally struggle with it. Cause I just, I, I, I feel like I got to be upfront with everybody. And if someone's like disrespectful to me, I'm not going to put on a face. Cause it's right. like, it's not worth it to me. And it's yeah, not even I, like a, I don't yeah.
0: know.
1: It's not like an ego thing. I think it's just no. like a, I had, nobody is more important than anybody else like I I don't there's no justifiable reason to treat anyone as beneath you in in my mind and I feel like I'm sorry go ahead
3: I can get into my other thing afterward no you're free to talk I just I guess just in in that sense right it's not as much see I guess this is just it just goes back to me doing it is in that moment I am beneath them I am Mm. it's just a fact they are in one way or another paying my my salary Right. Because right. if they don't want, if their stake is one shade of pink too low and they don't want that, I have to fix it. Or mm-hmm. they don't come back, their friends don't come back, their friends' friends don't come back, and I go out of business. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that kind of, this kind of goes back to the movie. It's the same thing where I need them to survive just as the parks need them to survive. Or the kids, yeah. I'm sorry. So, that's kind of... I guess my last response, I'll let you talk and let other people take over, but I think that's <laughs> again where it comes from. It's just you have to that you are beneath them in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying
1: with that. And that's, it's interesting to hear you as someone who's spent more time doing that sort of uh, role than I have uh, mm. to hear it articulated that way. Um, yeah, I, I think the other thing I, I guess I would say is, and uh, I I guess this is like a <laughs> bold and potentially very incorrect statement, so feel free to correct mm-hmm. me on this. I To me, it feels like the way service operates is kind of like a... It, it just feels like an extension of servitude, of when you had... When it was, you know, a, a thing that wasn't exclusively... Uh, like, we view having, like, live-in help as a thing that rich sociopaths do, um, mm-hmm. which is... I guess that's never really been different but I, I feel like it's like a. I feel like we, we dress it up a little bit more now so it's not just like you know whether it's like literal slaves or whether it's just like oh yeah it's like the butler it's like we we gradually over time have made that less okay for anyone to do no matter how much money they have but there are still kind of different kind of layers of pomp and circumstance that we dress up to do that um, and I don't know to me the whole I don't know the, the restaurant thing feels like people kind of playing at like a simulated version of that almost of like, Oh, it's, it's my turn to be waited on and it's my turn to call the shots. And maybe that's completely like incorrect. And I'm, you know, I'm eager to hear.
0: Well, if I can interject there as somebody who has, uh, I've worked in food service and uh, I've worked in a lot of jobs that are almost entirely customer service based. One of the things I think that comes down is like what, what Chris mentions, um, and that you, you have to fix it because otherwise they don't come back. That's like that in any job that has customer service. And that's essentially all retail. If you sell something and that is what you do, which is almost every job, mm-hmm. there is a layer of customer service that you have to deal with. And sure. uh, so as someone who's worked on both of them, I don't know if I would aim the perspective of saying that you're, be- you're be- beneath them or below them or subservient to them necessarily is the wording I would choose. But it's that they have paid money for something that they Mm -hmm. expect it to be a way, and if it's not that way, it's your duty as the person who sold it, essentially, is to try and make it as close to what they're expecting as possible uh, and respectfully as you can. Now, on the flip side of that, uh, I find your statement really, really interesting, Josh, because I think in some ways it's a little true. I do think that there is some extent of people who like it in this sense of, hey, it's my turn to call the shots and be the person who's getting waited on. Uh, but as you know and of course this is just my experience but as somebody who really loves to go and eat at restaurants and I really don't like the idea of takeout I really love the experience of going to a place sitting uh, having a nice conversation with whomever my server is uh, treating them well tipping them well and that's something I, I really enjoy doing I really don't like just taking food and going home I feel like it really takes away from the social aspect that I think a lot of people who really thrive in food industry and customer service in general really enjoy I think mm. most of the people who make a lot of money at or people who are personable. And, you know, to Chris's thing, I think there are plenty of waiters and waitresses and uh, customer service staff in general that the moment something goes wrong, they're nice to the face. And I mean, when they turn around, they're they complaining and saying, hey, you know, the, look at this crazy woman and, and all those different ways you can say it. And then I think there's people who are like, "Ah, oh, man, I, you know, that, that sucks. And I sympathize with the thought that they, for whatever reason, are not happy as they could have been with it. And I'm that person. I'm never mean to anyone. I'm never, yeah. I don't do the call the shots thing. I think when people who act that way, and I don't see it often, but you know, like the old Tales of people who put like five one dollar bills under a, a knife and then pull so, one out every time you make a mistake. That's such a that's such a subhuman way to treat people, and yeah. I feel like most people don't do it. But the people who do do it get seen so much that it makes the it makes people think that sometimes right. that people do do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back a little bit more to the movie so we don't go too much out on the thing even though I do think that that of course ties into one of the aspects of the movie and how it's viewed so this is actually in service of the conversation we just had to an extent um, but one of the things that Chris said really early that really struck with me because I, I agree with it but then the tip of, you know, Chris, you you said, "Hey, mm. here's what I see the movie as," and I'm not exactly sure how you're seeing it as you are, but uh, you know, th- but there is a thing there. So the way I would look at it, th- what you actually said was that you view this as a story of desperation versus non desperation, which I absolutely think is true. Uh, oh, and. No. Mm. Go ahead if you have if no. you want to correct me if, I, if I'm saying it wrong. But that was one of the early things you said is no. that you you view this movie as a as uh, desperation versus non desperation. And I do think to some extent that is some of what this movie is doing. But if I you would ag- clarify, I would
3: agree with that. Um, but I think the main I might have misspoke. But the main theme I saw was desperation versus desperation
0: versus desperation. Yeah. Could you clarify that real quick just so I know. So if, I just you know.
3: I, I didn't mean to mislead. If I did, I do no, agree okay. with the desperation versus non desperation thing. But the thing that really struck me was how quickly the old housekeeper switched when she found she had leverage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That to me was the movie. These Mm. two poor people fighting under the nose of oblivious rich people for the smallest sliver of power to continue hiding in these rich people's basement and lives.
0: Okay. So that actually gets me to where I kind of wanted to take this, which is, uh, that's, that's another interesting point that I do think I agree with. And there's actually something in my notes where I talk about, um, You have two different forms of desperation. You have one person who is already there and taking advantage of the situation. But if you notice, uh, you talked about the guy, Blake, in the basement being the actual parasite. Because he was going and living in their house and stealing their food. I I agree with that in a lot of ways. But the other thing is, is there's a line that the wife uh, actually says that she bought all his food and took it down there. So essentially, as far as what it was, the house was nothing more than a sanctuary for him to hide from his debtors.
2: Yeah, that's true. I totally forgot that she had said she bought his food for him out of her check. It really
0: does change it. Now, it still comes from desperation. It was a different kind of desperation, right? It was desperation from the uh, desperation of losing your life because of one mistake, whereas the other family was desperation of not having the money to live the way they saw, the the way that they thought they could and they both of them use that situation to leverage into their own thing but to pull that back out into the overall arcing theme that i think me josh and uh, blake overall landed on of this being some form of commentary on class disparity i think what you do is you look at desperation versus non-desperation or versus another form of desperation and you view that through the prism of class disparity causing Uh, being at least one of the causes of why these people are put into situations to where they feel like they have to leverage this. So my note that I actually put was, this is a story of how desperation can lead to manipulation and a basic anything to get ahead mentality. Now, there's a lot of different layers in how that works, but that's why I think the overall viewing of this is viewed from a class disparity thing because the family that you see doing the best is the one that has the least worries because they're the most monetarily sound. It doesn't mean that everything's perfect. I agree. That. But the motivation for the other two families comes from some form of money. One of them was, a, of course he's going to lose his life because of debtors but that still is at the, at the behest of, of money. You look at it that way, he's going to lose his life because he's defaulted on money. This family is going to Potentially die in these slums, which is I thought was a great way that they brought that in visually with the scene of them going back to their house and it flooding. Mm. You see the kind of yeah, it was a really sure. great moment of humanizing and kind of making the people relatable, despite the fact that and, and like you mentioned, Chris. They do a lot to set the family up in a way to where, despite knowing that it's kind of sleazy, all the things they're doing, you still oddly root for them. Yeah. And it's like this—it's the basic idea that I think a lot of humans have. Ironically, even probably rich people who are watching this, mm-hmm. though there are some that are going to be completely dissociated. But <laughs> I think there's just something in us. It's like, oh, it's the underdog. You know, they're in a rough situation. They're—they're they're finding right. a way to pull up. It's like the idea of the human spirit prevailing, even if through questionable means. But that's to me. That's why I think it ends up kind of coming down. And that one scene of them going to the house, and there's, there's uh, I shouldn't say one scene, but that one section of them going to the house while it's flooding uh, after escaping and trying to deal with these things, you really see what their life genuinely was for sure. and what it meant for them. And the last thing I'll say which is because it's a great scene that I think speaks to this. Uh, there's a there's a scene throughout that where you see the daughter go into the bathroom mm-hmm. and she uh the, the toilet is spraying out sewage yep. and she, she eventually it. overcomes it. She sits on top of it, reaches up, pulls the smokes out laughs and kind of just like this is it like th- there she's so comfortable because this is the life that she's known for so long that this is just it and she could sit there and smoke even when all their stuff is kind of getting lost yeah. and it's right. it was a very I, interesting scene because if you it, it's like you you know almost from the way the movie sets yeah. it up that the if the park family had something similar happen they would be taking it very differently
3: right. mm. i think it's interesting right. that you didn't actually bring this up but the next scene we see with Mrs. Park, you know what she says? She says, Thank God for the rain, we needed that.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yes. No, I I actually yeah. have that in my notes yep. as well. <laughs> but yes. I thought I was waiting the whole time for you to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. I was trying not to overly speak, but uh, yeah, I apologize. that was a that was a great line. Blake, what do you think?
2: Yeah, that whole scene too, with uh you know, it kept going back and forth between like the family struggling to get through like the sewage water in their apartment. Mm-hmm. And then it would switch back to the Park family, and they're, like, sleeping on the couch, relaxing, and the kid's out in a tent in the yard. Right, right. You know, and I thought it was just really strikingly different, mm-hmm. in, like, the difference between the classes or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. kind of immediately But I did just also closing. want to mention... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did want to mention the desperation of each, like Chris said, the desperation versus desperation. And I do think... And maybe desperation is too strong of a word for what I'm saying, and this might not be what you meant, Chris, but it just made me think of this is the desperation of the Park family to be perfect and mm. for perfection from their employees. I agree with that. Yeah. Like y'all mentioned earlier, how quick they were to fire people, you know, without even really talking to them. They were, with both of them, they made up an excuse. They didn't even mention why they were actually firing them. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. it's that desperation for perfection that, you know, ultimately became their downfall as well.
0: Oh, yeah. I love that you said that because, of course, the reason that the Park family suffered all the stuff they went through uh, is because of, like you mentioned, they had to have the perfect tutor so that their daughter could be the perfect, you know, student. And they had to have their their son had to be the perfect artist who had to have the perfect art teacher to come in and sit with him. And they had that. Yeah, it's, it's the story of how the rich people's ideals for perfection was is kind of what makes them who they are, but also can easily become their downfall.
3: So, yeah, exactly. I, I feel like I'm over talking a little bit, but I I do kind of want to rebut you a little bit. No, I don't.
0: I was gonna say I don't think anyone's
2: over talking. If y'all have something to say, feel free. I mean, just
3: the the whole movie. I, I'm gonna spoil the ending. I, I hope that's <laughs> fine when we do this early. Right. But the whole no, movie. Fine. Wait. Culmin-
2: wait, this isn't a spoiler
3: cast. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole movie culminates in Mr. Kim stabbing, it's a a whole thing, but it culminates in Mr. Kim stabbing Mr. Park because of the smell, right? Mm. And I think the reality, if you really take a step back and look at that, is that Mr. Park, despite your saying that he needs perfection, liked Mr. Kim enough as a man and as a driver to continue letting him go. And Mr. Mm-hmm. Kim found this out because he was in a position he should not have been in. Not yeah, to... sure. No, so, yeah, absolutely. Mr. Yeah. Park, despite hating his smell, kept him on because he liked him. Mr. Kim finds out in a nefarious way and that ends up being the catalyst towards Mr. Park's murder.
0: Yeah, no, that's a fair counterpoint, for sure. It is, and there's one other thing that I think adds a layer to that, and I think it goes to show that you can have one theme while still having something that technically undermines the theme temporarily while also reinforcing it in a back way. Do you remember the reason as to why he's okay with keeping him despite the spell? Do you remember what he says?
3: I actually do not know. Remind okay, me. so
0: they're, they're sitting on the couch, mm-hmm. and the family's under the table, uh, and Mr. Park says he never crosses the line. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's about the idea of perfection for him. The idea of the perfected, and it's, it's it's skewed versions of perfection, right? It's that the smell doesn't detract from his perfection because his perfection and the perfection he seeks from Mr. Kim is that he doesn't cross the line. And he's very wow. upfront with that from the beginning. So what does he say? <laughs> he says he's, he almost crosses the line, but he never does. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he's gonna stay in here and I respect him enough because he meets the bottom line expectation I have of him, which is to not cross the line. And that expectation right. was set before he was even uh, hired, you know, when they were doing the kind of test drive. Um, so, right. I mean, it, it, your point is still valid, but it's, it's like that, that whole scene reinforces our point while also having the, the fact of it, it's not perfection across the board. So you're definitely right, but there is still a facet of perfection that's wanted in every one of these aspects. You're
3: definitely right. The only thing that I would say Again, not even against but i guess with your point is that it goes back to my original point is that the parks see this as an employee employer relationship
0: mm-hmm. yes yeah I, I agree with that and i don't know that that's Which necessarily it is. i mean they're not wrong right that.
3: but that's i my, mean it is employer and employee right i guess my thing is like as someone who now runs a kitchen as if i liked someone who does their job i would keep them but if they screw up enough they're gone that's just how that works you know and i'm sure. sorry if you have to pay your bills but you can't cook. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? It,
1: um, if I could mention this briefly, I, I think, at least a thing for me, uh, and I, Chris, I really appreciate you articulating this because I wouldn't have thought of it that way, and that's mm-hmm. it's really interesting for me to hear this, this other point of view on this. Um, so thank you. Um, of course. Uh, a, a thing that, for my interpretation of it, contributed to my feeling of, you know, continuing to root for, uh, Mr. Kim, despite, you know, obviously they, they shouldn't be there. And this was sort of like a, an immediate, you know, slap by karma in the face of like, you know, Oh, you guys were having this night of extravagance that wasn't yours. And now, now you're sleeping under the table. Um, mm. Mm. and then that going even further to the point of, you know, them having to return to their floated home. But, um, a thing that contributed to my still reading it, uh, you know not liking the parks and in defense of mr kim was the additional comments of like not just that he smelled but like it smells like people on the subway and like Mm. oh poor people have a certain smell and just that sort Mm. of it it's not just that they were kind of shit talking him, which as an individual is probably warranted like anybody does that but the additional layer of just like dehumanizing people of lesser means i think was a thing that for my viewing contributed to that sort of feeling of like you're not just commenting on this one man's you know attributes you're kind of commenting
3: on a lot of people and judging them for having lesser means i don't know i see where you're coming from i don't know i kind of feel like I, please tell me if you want me to stop speaking but i feel like this is almost please keep we're having a discussion of themes and i'm the contrarian in this conversation no so. i love hearing your contrary thoughts <laughs> no that's, but that's why it's interesting yeah i, I yeah
2: that's why we invited a capitalist on the show. Like <laughs> Fuck yeah!
3: Sanders 2020. Didn't expect that one. Um, no, I just... I'm having trouble rebutting your points, because any way that I rebut your points, I sound like an asshole. No, well, no,
0: no. That, that shouldn't be a matter. I, because this is a viewpoint of yours. I mean, it doesn't. you don't have to be an asshole just because you viewed something differently. I mean, this is subjective work. I mean, what, what, I,
3: what I mean is what I'm about to say is going to make yourself like an asshole. <laughs> well, uh, either
0: shoot it off or let's pass it off. Sho- well, no, I'm shooting it off. I'm just <laughs> counting.
3: But the reality <laughs> is I have, I have said just as mean and just as demeaning stuff about people who weren't in the room mm-hmm. because I'm having a private conversation and I'm shit-talking. Yep. You know, I get where you're coming from. I think the part, the comments that Mr. Park made were awful, and that scene truly was one of the most heartbreaking scenes for me in that movie. Like that hurt me watching just his sadness and him being right there with his family mm-hmm. was so much worse. I think that was <laughs> yeah, a, a, them all having to hear it. Right, that was a kick to the dick like no other. But I have come home from work where there was a shitty guy, and I said, "Oh, that piece of shit." couldn't do his job, and I've talked shit, and I've, I've said stuff that I shouldn't say, but the reality is I was saying that in private to a buddy on PSN, or to my mom, or to my dad who knows what I'm talking about. My dad's a kitchen manager for 30 right. years, he gets it. So when I say this fucking, this fucking idiot can't do his job, he doesn't have a brain, you know, yeah. I would never say that to the guy because I, most days I respect the guy, but at a certain point, you know, you're making a point and you're exaggerating for effect. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've been on a subway. Subway has a particular smell. Let's not (laughs) kid ourselves.
0: Yeah, sure. But I, to, to, I think to speak to josh 's point though is that you, you kind of I understood your point when he when he speaks specifically of mr kim it 's one thing it 's something that he said in private he wasn 't saying it with the intentions of hurting mr Kim, and whenever he only got that far into the conversation, I was like well that 's unfortunate, but I understand and we mm-hmm. 've all said something about an individual right. uh, when we thought we were you know when it 's essentially private and, and by all means he thought he was in a private situation. But where he crosses the line is like what Josh says is it it goes from talking about one person that you at least have an experience with and that you can specifically say like, hey, I have experienced it with this person. So I know that at least for me, it's true of that person. But instead, he broadens that scope out and he has to make it about poor people as a whole he's he specifically pushes the line and the envelope past the individual and into a group of people that he doesn't know and he's he's really and, and and again it's not that we don't all do that to some degree But this is just, again, a way of speaking of – he's doing it specifically in regards to poor people, which brings back the theme in this movie of the difference in classes and the class disparity of one person with money who's looking and generalizing about – and and you see them on both ends. I mean, to some extent, the – Poor people are overgeneralizing about the uh, the foolishness of the rich people and how easy it is to manipulate them. Just mm-hmm. while you know they're demeaning and generalizing and saying, "Well, all poor mm. people want to be this dirty thing." So, yeah i i just I just see it more as it's colored banter. It's
3: banter colored by who they are. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't see it as a in, as a slight on people because I don't believe, by everything I saw in that movie, that the Parks would ever treat someone badly because they were poor at least to their face they might go home sitting over some fucking crab rangoon or whatever the equivalent would be in korea and talk shit and make fun of them because they're poor but i guess to me the difference lies in i don't believe the people that i watched would treat the people in a conversation that way if that poor person was with them
0: yeah i'm with you but the the movie actually that's one of the weirdest things about the movies is it never shows the parks in any situation outside of their their outside of the garden party which is still very much framed around the kim family when you're looking at that it's the the movie goes almost painstakingly out of its way to make sure that you never really see the parks interacting with any other normal humans mm-hmm. the, their interaction with people who are of a lower class to them is actually people that they don't even realize are of a lower class to them you know they're fooled throughout this whole thing to thinking that Mr. Kim is not a poor person And that's actually the interesting thing about his remarks of uh, of Mr. Kim and why I, I, pushing the envelope to where he did was interesting because it wasn't necessarily like saying that Mr. Kim was just some bottom of the barrel it was like well Mr. Kim is obviously not a rich person but this other people you know is like an an esteemed art teacher um, and, and art therapy, whatever crap that she said, and then one of them is a, is a well, you know, like student who's getting paid a lot for this service. So these are clearly not what they think are bottom of the barrel people. So some of the remarks they're making are interesting because. The movie never really shows or presents the information to where you can see the Park family interacting with people who are out of their um, out of their class, I should say, at least directly. That's true. If I
1: could... V- v- I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, I'm good. Uh, I'll make this very quick. I, I wanted to kind of add this as like an end cap. As far as the difference I, I felt between like making any kind of comment like we all vent, we all say shit that we obviously would hope isn't recorded and regurgitated for out-of-context listening. Um, Wait,
0: are we recording right
1: now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, we no, are, I hope not. <laughs> the difference to me was in uh, n- not just the generalizations, but the sort of... I-, I didn't feel like those comments were venting and it was just, oh, it was taken out of context. I felt like those comments were... The revealing of how they truly view these people and that was what made it feel like you're finally showing your true face it's not that you're venting and that's why you're saying these horrible things it's that the acting nice is a pleasantry and you truly view other people as beneath you so for me it wasn't just like sure talk shit that's what anybody does but i think the difference at least how i would view it is like any of us can talk shit and like we still got to go to work and like we're not even as like a kitchen manager like you're not like rolling in dough like you're making a living like it's still like you know you're working hard just like anybody else does and at least for me that was what made it feel very different is like Mm -hmm. for the whole employee relationship for the parks it's not you know we're still kind of partners in this like yes i am your boss but i still you know we're all still kind of pitching in together it's like you guys are basically waiting hand and foot on these people, especially with Mr. Kim and I'm blanking on the mother's name, but the caretaker where it's, I I felt their treatment was dehumanizing. It's normalized in the situation, but I still felt even though you're in this nice place, it was very, Mm. very, you know, Oh, we're eight minutes away. That'll be enough time for you to start the roundup. Or it's just like, that's not a Mm -hmm. respectful way to treat somebody. Or it's like just a a lot of little things that kind of contributed to it, which I think were hammered. (sighs) on in that last scene where it's yeah
2: i want to go ahead oh sorry i thought you were done my bad no go ahead finish uh the very last bit uh
1: i felt like it was hammered home in the bit where it was cutting back and forth between like oh we're shopping for clothes and then yeah here's us this morning in the in the refugee building where you know the clothes are on a pile and everybody's yelling like just that back and forth and the sort of Mm -hmm. i just felt like it contributed to a very dehumanizing tone but anyway blake go ahead
2: yeah I wanted to comment on two of those things. I agree with you that um it wasn't like mr park it wasn't like this the typical like com trope of like someone stepping up to a door and hearing Mr. Park smells and then they turn around and run and that's all they hear so it was like he heard the entire conversation yeah with that with all the context. you know what I mean so I think it was I think that's also why he took it differently, and I'm not saying that. Mr. Park is evil or, like, a terrible person or deserved to die because he thinks that, mis- that, you know, Mr. Kim smells. Like, obviously not. But I think that's why it kind of seeped in more and hurt
3: him more. Does that make sense? makes sense. I think this is kind of what makes the movie so brilliant, is that, Joshua, I agree with every single thing you said. I still don't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's what's interesting. Because to yeah. me... I guess my thing is, I don't agree with your take on servants or butlers at all. Mm. I, I just don't. Um, I think... I'm, I'm going to make the typical conservative boomer argument, but... <laughs> they chose those jobs. Mm. Literally, especially in this movie. They literally chose those jobs.
0: Went out of their so way.
3: If you don't, if, it's not like they didn't have a plethora of choices
2: and like chose that one. They like... Wasn't didn't they talk about Mr. Kim not being able to
0: find one? Well, right, yeah, yeah, but I think to his point is that th- they went into this with goals of, and half the time it was creating jobs yeah. that were just opportunistic. So it really was sure. that they chose these jobs almost too on the on the nose because they were looking for opportunity to come in and just find a way. To fit into this family, no matter what it was, right. you know the first person but again, goes in. I think that's gets more of a desperation. Oh, it is, but they, but it's still just because you're desperate doesn't mean that you can't still choose what you're doing. But it does mean that the way that you're going to choose is going to be tainted by the fact that you feel a, a, a more of a need to get something yeah. rather than nothing quicker. So, I mean, both both sides, I think, are valid. I
3: do I, yeah. I don't think this movie really helps with my point. If I'm being honest with you. Because I, I, realistically, I think the movie plays into Josh's point of view. But I guess the example that I will give here for kind of the choose your own adventure type thing I'm trying to put forth is look at, look at, look at Bruce Wayne and look at Alfred, right? Alfred's, Alfred's fine. Alfred's rich. Alfred chooses to be Bruce Wayne's butler. Mm-hmm. You know, not everyone is, obviously, not every butler is Alfred Pennyworth because Alfred Pennyworth doesn't exist. But neither does Bruce Wayne. So, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> if, if I Santa? if I want to go out and wait hand and foot on a rich family because they're going to pay my bills, then I think at a certain point I don't get to be upset when the rich the rich family who's paying my bills says something unreasonable. You know, I think that's you that's the job that you have. So I, I I do. I would be pissed as a human being if I got a phone call and said you got eight minutes to make me food you've never made before. <laughs> but there's also that part in your mind that says I chose this, and I, I get that in this specific situation there's not a lot of choices. But like we, me and Brett kind of said, they they chose this shit. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, and- yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't fully disagree or anything. I just
2: don't think that they had like many other choices if any? So right. like you saying it's a choice. Yeah, they technically chose it. But what other choice did they have? Yeah. Are you really if someone hand if someone puts out a dollar bill in front of you and says, "Do you want this?" Yeah, you can choose to take it or not. But if you have to take one, is it really a choice?
0: So, Will here's it, one of the interesting that thing that the movie does is that the movie actually very early on does present another opportunity that they clearly yeah. go around because they find something that they think is going to be more beneficial to them that they can... And, and what that is is early in the movie uh, when they do the boxes for the pizza mm-hmm. uh, and then they're talking sure. to the pizza girl and they mention the guy, the the employee that went AWOL and he goes, hey, listen, can you know can I come in do an interview and try? And then the guy behind him is like, hey, we really need somebody. And he he makes plans to go in there and essentially try for that job. And it sounds like there's a good chance he'll get it. There's actually like something going there. But then immediately that same night, he gets the opportunity for to do this. So while it was a better sounding opportunity for a number of different reasons, money and the opportunity to maybe scam even further um, to help your whole family out, he did have an an actual choice of a job that probably would have been a little bit more honest and would have you know, brought him up by the bootstraps. And you could tell that even in the beginning, yeah, no, his intentions, I, his intentions are there. Cause he's like, you know, he tells his dad, even though they've, um, forged this document for school, they've told, like he tells the dad when he goes out, like, Hey, I don't view this as forgery. Uh, so I view this as you know I will once with the money that we start getting I'll go to college next year but you just see that spiral out of control and they mm-hmm. all choose to continue to dig deeper into the scheme and the scam um right. so that's just one thing and uh, a quick note about the Ram Dom thing I think there's a lot of interesting parts of this movie where you want to see it on the surface value and say well it's unreasonable for them to call and it's maybe dehumanizing for them to call and say hey. Um, You have eight minutes to make a dish you've never made before, but that's not really the context of the movie. I mean, you know, she is being paid to stay there overnight and her pay is it's like when you go to your job. Are you telling me that you don't want your boss to randomly be like, hey, you're here and you're getting paid. And even if you're just on reserve, it's like, hey, something came up. I need you to do Well, they pay you to do that. So the call comes and. There's no, no there's no knowledge on the park side that she doesn't know how to make the Ram Dom and she doesn't even clarify that. When she goes, she tells her family what the hell's Rom Dom. She doesn't not say that right. to the people. She's trying to put up a facade. Mm-hmm. And you know, so it, it's really interesting how all these things play out. I mean, it really yeah. is what's great about the movies it's not super cut and dry and exactly. it really makes for a more textured, interesting view because there's never the the park family are never in a one hundred percent uh villainous standpoint where you're like look at these terrible people but nor are the kims or whatever you want to call the uh, the other family because there are a lot of moments that they go about trying to humanize them and one of those in particular then i'll uh seed my my talking will be um There's a part where they're on the couch before all the stuff starts really going down about midway through the movie uh, where the dad actually kind of takes a step back and attempts to think about how their actions have affected others. And he asks about you and he goes, yeah, hey, you know that you do you think he got another job? And like, he's probably okay, right? And then I love that they so quickly move away from that with the Mm -hmm. daughter kind of just uh, brushing it off and immediately staring away from it in in kind of a bad way. But then they're met with the immediate flip side of that. So, you know, in their mind, they're able to justify that Yoon is doing so well, but then they're met face to face with the fact of what they did to the housekeeper. Right. Uh, And I just, so again, it makes the movie very interesting to watch because there's just a lot of stuff that's constantly weaving in very interesting ways to where no one ever fully looks like the villain until suddenly they are.
3: I think the the last point I would want to make, which kind of goes to why the movie is almost a bad way to talk about the specific relationship between employee and employer is that if, if they're never found out, right. If, the old housekeeper doesn't come back. I don't believe for a second that they would continue to be in abject poverty. I don't, um, and I think that's the big thing. I think if they had all continued on in their roles, eventually that family pulls themselves out. So yeah, this, despite that it's demeaning and it might hurt them, if they had a played played their hands better and B hadn't had a almost fanciful uh, waits for their plan to come collapsing down. They, they would have eventually been fine. They wouldn't have been the parks, but they definitely wouldn't have been themselves anymore either.
0: So I, I don't want to feel like it's just me and Chris bouncing around a lot. <laughs> so I'll say one thing in response to that. Uh, one of the things I really thought was interesting about that, um, the idea of, you know, saying, well, if, if nothing would have ever happened, then they probably would have been able to eventually pull themselves up. I love that the movie immediately addresses that when they're laying in the gym and the the son leans over and asks his dad what the plan was. And the dad says, and I quote, what type of plan never fails? No plan at all. No plan. You know why? If you make a plan, life never works out that way. And he says it in such an interesting way of where it's like, he realizes that the plans they've made are part of what's putting them in the position of where they are. To an extent, it's almost like right. we're seeing we're seeing the fruits of our plan go to waste. But if we would have never planned, and I took that in, a, in some sense as if we would have never schemed, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be in this position where we are right now. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. So,
1: yeah, I, I mean, it, it's definitely to the the credit of the movie that it's uh, as as Brett said, it's not just a, a one tone sort of thing. It's you know we we immediately see them it's really interesting how the movie reveals it where it's like, yeah, we feel bad for them and, like, they're struggling so much and then we see how quickly they're like, oh, they're actually really conniving and really clever and they're already, like, they're finding every way to turn everything into an asset to them. And at first, it it's, like, ingenuitive and then it gets, like, it gets progressively darker. Um, and I think uh, this does tie into Chris's point a little bit of, yeah, if they continued on this path, uh unobstructed, it's very possible that they would have ended up well off enough for us to no longer identify with them as underdogs and for them to then be, now you guys are just being schemy and selfish and gross and you don't even have anything to like humanize you anymore and you're just as bad as they are. Um so that is certainly to the credit of the movie as far as creating depth in these characters and it's not just oh poor them the whole time but it's like oh poor them Mm. and
0: it's like i mean i'm rooting for you but also can you chill a little Um, (laughs) right there's a great moment that ties into what you're talking about josh of when they're sitting there in their night of glory and there's so much that happens in this one little you know 10 minute segment Mm -hmm. Uh, when they're sitting there and the son kevin which is i'll get to that in a minute as well but um the son is talking about how he likes the daughter. And as soon as she goes, he's going to ask her out properly. And none of the family stopped to think that, Oh, that'd be the end of our uh, sham or anything. It's, it's where you see them dig deeper in. It's like, this is supposed to be one where you see him expressing love for a person. It's, it should be humanizing, but it's immediately followed by the, then I could hire uh, actors to be my parents so we could still come (laughs) in and this would eventually become our house. And it was like, it was just another angle in a yeah. weird way so it's it almost makes you wonder if he ever actually loved her and it, it's, it's just what's really interesting that all that came together from that um but Ab- absolutely that yeah. there was a lot of really cool uh nuance to
1: that i felt
2: mm-hmm. so i think that basically wraps up our discussion on the themes Did anybody else have anything to say before we move on to like some of our favorite scenes and stuff
0: no, I think the way to wrap up this in particular, if I had to kind of put a cap on it, is that this, uh, what we just kind of went through, and I hope it wasn't painful for anybody listening, uh, I thought it was really interesting because it was so many different viewpoints going through. But I think that because the fact that we had so many different ways of speaking and talking on it uh, really speaks uh, volumes to what we came into this saying. Right. Uh, I think Josh actually specifically said it, is this movie is... Uh, has the ability because of how uh, multifaceted and layered everything is within it uh, and how different it can be perceived by people that it, it's a great tool to look into and kind of understand how people uh, differ. You know, I think without this conversation we would have never, or without this movie, we would not have had this conversation to learn how each of us kind of stand a little differently on each one of these things we learned something interesting about josh and uh, his current stance on uh, the idea of like um uh waiting for people and like the idea of a of service industry uh we, we learn a little bit more about you uh chris and, yeah. and it's just i just thought it was interesting that we this is this is a real strength of the movie its ability to kind of let it shines a light on everybody's differences and that's a lot of what the movie's kind of talking about is differences between people in this particular subsect uh, groups. But I, 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 yeah, yeah. to the movie's credit, I think that that's a great thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. All right. Um, did anyone... What What are some scenes that everyone thought were, you know, maybe some of the best or just something you wanted to comment on or talk about what happened or anything like that? Anyone <clears throat> have any in particular?
3: I did, yeah. Um, I really had to give credit to So Damn Park. That is who played Kim. And I thought she was probably the best performance in that movie uh, for me. I liked that she was always always the one in power. And I thought that was really interesting. Even when she wasn't, she was, you know? Um, I don't know. I just found her performance just really good. I thought the scene with her and her brother, the little jingle, everybody knows, that was really nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what really stood out for me for that whole movie was just the beginning scene with her and Mrs. Park, and her just taking over. It was oh, yeah. impressive. It was super hot. Like it was just a really. <laughs> it, I look. I I'm sorry, but that was the that was so hot. I don't know what it was, but the the exertion of power is like step on hey, you my like neck. Powerful women, anyway, man.
0: There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah,
3: listen tie me up. Anyway, so the I just really liked everything she did. So I, I wanted to call that out because she was my favorite part of it. She was great. Yeah, what about you, Joshua? Uh,
1: one that stood out to me, it felt like a scene out of an anime. It really reminded me of Death Note, honestly, was uh, Mr. Kim's This Isn't a Test test of him driving oh, yeah. and Mr. Park has the cup of coffee and he's, like, observing it to see, like, if anything spills based on uh, Mr. Kim's driving. And that was just such a, like... I I love when movies are willing to go, or really any kind of storytelling, I love when they're willing to go in, like, how detailed and, like, like, uh, observant the people in the scene are and how they're kind of, like, they're only letting on so much and they're observing so many more things and they're kind of using that to figure each other out. And, I mean, this movie had so much of that, but that was one of my favorite just, like, stylized moments of that, of, like, you know, just, like, cruising around in the car and just having the coffee and, like, this isn't any kind of test or anything, but, like, he's judging the fuck out of him the whole time just doing so with a really relaxed demeanor
0: you know I
2: would fail that test I would spill my coffee every single time
0: time. I I love that you brought that scene up because that is that was such a cool scene in the movie Uh, I I thought the same thing and I'm glad you brought it up because my thought exactly was Death Note it makes me think of like the way that you see this cat and mouse game of different things and trying not to put too much of your hand out there while clearly also observing the situations that you see between like light and, uh, um, Oh Lord, how am I forgetting other dudes? Oh. Name? It's been a few years since I've watched death note, but either way. Yeah. I thought that was a a, 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 good pickup as well. Yeah. Did you have any specific scenes you want to talk about Brett before I jump into mine? Um, I have something I want to talk about that I don't necessarily know was. Uh, I, I think I've really most of the scenes I really liked are are, are handled. I mean, some of them I, I'll do that, but there's something else I want to talk about before we round the whole show off. So I'm just going to put a pin in that. Um, there was a scene that was interesting to me because it seemed like I had a tie-in scene later, um, and I I don't necessarily know that this was a, thema- a thematic standpoint. I just thought it was interesting. Um, is whenever he's sitting there in the house and he's just staring at the landscaping stone and then almost every scene that follows that has kevin in it is him and the stone and somehow they've become inseparable Hmm. and then the weird irony of it is that that only ends when kevin is struck by the rock after yeah. saying i'm pretty sure his his quote line to his father when he said what are you doing with the rock is he said it's it's uh it's hard to explain but the rock's clung to me it was or something to those uh, lines i just thought that was really weird like each scene stood out to me it was kind of cool because it was like what are they going to do with this rock and i feel like that was a slow but very subtle stand like build up to that the rock was going to be a tool used against him uh, and you just didn't realize it until it happened. So that's, uh, that's one oh, of Oh, and is
1: that like a thematic yeah, thing? Absolutely. I wonder, if, like, this rock that represents wealth is then the thing that these, these two destitute people are fighting over to clobber each other with?
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I yeah, have had thoughts of whether there's a thematic backing to it. Uh, it almost feels like there okay. certainly is. Uh, but I just thought it was also interesting that like from a scene standpoint uh, from the entirety of that you see him with that rock Uh, I was
3: just going to say I think the thematic element personally for me I noticed it was their life starts going downhill the second that rock comes into their life Mm -hmm. and the second that the rock nearly kills him their life starts going back up that rock disappears the second that That's Rockets a very interesting
0: again. twist on that, and I think okay, I, I don't know if I heard Josh say something, but I would I find it very interesting that in your viewpoint that the rock, the moment the rock comes into their life is the moment things start going bad. Because if anything, the movie sells the rock coming into their life as uh, like you know the rock comes in, then he gets the job yeah. opportunity, then they go in, all of them get hired, they're all making adequate money. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I don't necessarily know that I would tie it into saying that the moment The Rock is introduced is the moment that you, um, that that uh, things right. are going bad. I don't even well, know if there's a... It, but but clearly, but I, that I would agree with you. That he
2: made the choice to, <laughs> to take on that job, which was right. start, the start of the downfall. That's true. That makes That's sense. my point. That's it went uphill to then go downhill. <laughs> exactly. But, but that was like... The catalyst. All at the same time. Right. Yeah. That, that, and I wonder if there's anything in like, you know, like... <clears throat> Uh, South Korean maybe like um history or anything to do with like that type of rock or anything that maybe we just don't have the
3: context for see Very I'm possibly. glad you
0: brought up cultural stuff so, because the, the rock
3: ahead. uh Min says at the beginning the rock was meant to bring wealth and prosper to a family
0: <laughs> yeah it obviously had cultural okay, gotcha. significance yeah um but sure, while sure. we're on the topic of that real quick uh cultural, I, I, there was a lot of parts of this movie that I, I was mm-hmm. trying to look at and say like, you know, I wonder if this is hitting me very differently because of the cultural differences, but then the movie also kept doing this thing where I, I felt like and I, I wonder if this is actually a thing in, in Korea, but it seemed like the movie, and they specifically rather the characters within the movie had an obsession with the United States. Yes, I, I noticed, noticed that,
3: that. You want to know what? I'm going to say something that's going to prove Josh's point. Um, I think The one thing I found about the American culture thing really interesting was that the Parks used Indians and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Kevin uses Native Americans. And I found that really interesting. Because when I I first... I think you're right. When I first heard Mrs. Parks say Indians, I went, huh, the Korean culture is different. They don't care about this stupid, you know, quote-unquote, SJW bullshit. Where... (laughs) But then I noticed it later when Kevin mentions starts talking. I believe he says Native Americans. I could be wrong.
0: I, I do, th- or I American Indians.
3: Right. It was one of those two. Yes, I think it was American. It was American Indians, American yeah. Indians which is so like so I remember American closer. Indians being so. Yeah. 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 So I just thought it was interesting, and it goes again to Josh's point that Kevin, the poor kid, cared more about the cultural impact of the words that he was using than Mrs. part So one weird thing that I yeah,
0: noticed. Yeah, but the
3: tent was made.
2: No, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going
0: to say a joke. No, the tent <laughs> was ahead. made in the U.S., yeah. but it was. not yeah. it was made in China. That was funny. <laughs> that was very funny. Um, so, do
1: we, do we think the park uh, youngest child is a mega fan? <laughs> oh God! A- absolutely what were you like, going to say, Brett? Uh, this is kind of in line with that.
0: Where I wonder if this, this was like a weird cultural thing, or if this was an attempt at uh, using words in a weird way to come off pompously. I really, it, it, it lost me in the movie but almost every time that he said it it rubbed me in just a very odd way. It stood out so much. Uh, Kevin keeps using the phrase throughout the movie, that's so metaphorical. Yeah, Mm -hmm. He says that when the rock comes in, which is actually a a rather reasonable use for it, it's like, well, you know, the the rock is supposed to be wealth, and he's like, okay, well, it's metaphorical. Um, Mm -hmm. But then when he's looking at the painting, when he's uh, going through and and looking at um, the kid's painting, um, he's he says it the same way he's like oh it's uh, and, and what I thought was more funny about that is I really think it may be trying to sell that he was trying to be pompous and he just happened to pull it off because he says it's a chimpanzee right and then she goes no it's a self portrait <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was
3: fucking hilarious.
0: But he says it uh, in one more spot that seemed really, really weird to me, and it was when they were talking I the about same thing. in reference to the plans moving forward. Like they were talking about how their plans are moving forward, and he's like, "That's so metaphorical." And it just every time he said it, it struck me in a weird way, and I don't know if it's because it's a phrase that you don't typically hear, um, definitely used in that way in the U.S. I don't know. It was it was interesting, and it really stood stood out to me, and I wondered if that was a translation thing and that maybe Mm. that actually was not necessarily what the movie was intending, but that it was the closest translation. So it just doesn't quite make sense to us. Maybe it meant radical. Like, that's radical, dude. I I don't know. (laughs) It's hard to tell. Uh, So I didn't know if it was trying to be a commentary on him trying to be pompous by using words in a way that weren't accurate. But the movie showed that he could be accurate in other things, like you mentioned with the American Indian thing. So I don't know. It just stood out to me in a very odd way. I, I almost wonder if it's like a tell.
1: Like, if those are if he says that to indicate that those are the things that have an additional meaning like, mm, like to us, that would be even. super meta. That would
0: be cool, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, Blake, what so, was some of your favorite scenes since I think we were absolutely accidentally skipping yeah. over you?
2: No, no, that's fine. I, like I said, I'm just enjoying the conversations. Um, there just the specific, like, I guess would be also like the big two, and one of them is the really long one where it starts out with him in the park house when they go camping, you know, and then it leads to the the maid coming back and finding the man under, sta- under the stairs and then cooking the dinner. Just that entire scene, I think, is like one of the greatest scenes that I've ever seen in a movie. Mm. And, it, and maybe it could be considered a couple of different scenes because there's quite a long scene in between where they're down in the basement, the whole family is. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, just everything from, like, especially once they were cleaning and hiding to how almost, like, choreographed it was and the mom, like, just kicking the other lady down the stairs, like, as she (laughs) twists and turns in the kitchen. I just thought it was, I don't know. I just thought the whole scene was absolutely fantastic. The scene with the
0: kick was fantastic, for sure. It was like a macabre ballet.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And then, obviously, the uh, ending scene with the dinner party, which we've already talked about both of those scenes a little bit. I just wanted to mention how much I loved them.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because there is a scene I didn't mention on mine. Um, and it's it really is a string of scenes that you see going and going and going as you build up to the penultimate act of, uh, of him stabbing uh, Mr. Park. But there is a real sense of like, after Mr. Kim says his quote about the uh, no plans at all thing, from that moment on, every scene that you see with Mr. Kim it's like his demeanor is shrinking more and more and more and more. And it's funny because the rest of the movie, he's really likable and he's, he's got a big personality that he chooses to happen to as he see, as he needs to. And as the movie kind of goes on, you see him wearing down for whatever reason. I mean, it clearly there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, But yeah, it's like that scene right at the end. And this speaks back to the idea of the employee employer relationship when, Uh, Him and Kim or him and Mr. Park are in the bushes and he's explaining to them what they're going to do for the kid's birthday. Uh, And Mr. Kim's demeanor never really lifts up. He speaks a little bit, but then you as he kind of keeps his somewhat stone face and almost emotionless face you see mr park go from like laughing and joking and like yeah you know you're part of the family even though we don't know anything about you to whenever it seems like kim is not enjoying it it becomes this like there's so much tension in this pause between them looking at each other and then you see mr park say you're getting paid extra mr kim think of this as your work. And it becomes no longer about them doing it from a, Hey, you're essentially like family to us to like, Hey, you're an employee. Remember what the hell you're here for. Mm-hmm. It was right. a really strong. Yeah, scene. absolutely.
3: I, I do want to make a note quick of what I, I, I really found that scene interesting too. And what I found super interesting was the music, mm. um, the music over the dialogue where the dialogue was M- Mrs. Park planning for this wedding. But the music was like this foreboding, like i don't know what the right word is but almost horror soundtrack going on at the same time i thought that was mm-hmm. really cool kind of if, mm. if, if you were paying attention to the music it kind of told you that something was going to happen yeah,
0: yeah. great right. use of score
3: mm-hmm. and i think
2: one other short scene that was just like I, just to start it off like i saw a bunch of people before i saw this like Say this is a horror film, or it's like horror adjacent, and I don't see that at all. Yeah, I don't think it could even slightly be considered horror, no. except for this one like five second scene where the kids eating the cake. Oh my god, And the that guy was from awesome. the basement like pokes his head up. Oh, oh my god, that, that was, was so fucking scary. His that big ass eyes, of. holy shit! Oh his, god, his, his balding scene.
0: made it even worse. You know?
2: Yeah, it was like if anything is horror, it's that one scene. It's like five seconds because that was like one of the most terrifying things i saw all last year oh yeah i guess i saw it this year but you know of last year's movies but
0: i I think a lot of it comes down to the idea of like we talked about in our uh forever missing episode uh the idea of um horror potentially and i know that i sometimes fall victim to this as well that horror kind of to some people is anything that has an unsettling effect on you and i do think that there's plenty of points in the movie where there's an unsettled like, or there's like a unsettling tone that that kind of can come over you here and there, um, and like even like we mentioned in Scarface, it's not a movie that's necessarily meant for that. It's obviously not a horror movie, but it plays into some of the horror movie tropes here and there. And like sure. you know, so it's uh, with with specifically the soundtrack, but in this, I think it's a couple of other things. So uh, I mean, you know, it it's it's hard to say, but. Um, I I could yeah, see why someone might say it, but I don't think that I agree with, with it either that it's that it's horror adjacent.
2: Sure. Yeah, I think there are definitely some like hurt like a lot of horrific things in this movie. Okay. But I just don't necessarily think that means it's horror. I'd say don't know. it's psychologically
0: agree. driven, which goes back to the talk about like the, is psychological thrilling and which just isn't necessarily thrilling, but it's like are psychological studies innately horror? like uh, horrific because people are kind of innately scared of the inner mind. I mean, I'll tell you right Mm -hmm. now, I, I definitely am. There's something that's really the potential for the human brain to do so many things is amazing and mildly terrifying all at the same time. So it's like, you know, you have, I, I don't know. I, again, I could see it because I think that there's a lot of psychological aspects to this movie, even going into the motivations for the for the Kim family that are never um, expressly spoken, but clearly are, sure. are, are shared and 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 expressed to you uh in means other than just dialogue. So,
2: yeah, yeah, I agree. Does anyone else have anything to say about any of the scenes or even if you forgot and remember something about the themes of the film or anything else before we wrap it up? I want that cake recipe. That looked delicious.
3: It did look good. Yeah, <laughs> it did look good. Um, yeah. I wanted to point out one more scene uh, just cause I liked the way it was shot. I felt like the, the peaches scene uh, mm. at the beginning of the movie was shot almost like you were watching an assassination yeah. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, like was the, real good. the complete switch. Um and since you're wrapping it up. Even the music.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. It had like a spa The It was almost like
3: Mission Impossible like <laughs> yeah, adjacent. I loved it. It was
2: awesome.
3: <laughs> I the last thing I want to call out because it was it blew me away the scene was the first time you see snow in that movie. I just remember going, Oh that's fucking beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's I had nothing more to say about it, but that that was it no I agree <laughs> yeah absolutely
2: alright well if that's everything did Joshua or Brett, did y'all have anything
0: I got one last thing that I, I clearly is not some kind of unique opinion necessarily I, I really doubt it um, but one of the things that struck me is that even though we watched this movie in 2020 uh, this was a 2019 film And to me, one of the most interesting things is that even with this being from a completely different culture, from a completely different language barrier and all these different things, uh, I feel like it was very interesting how much this movie was similar to Joker, not only on themes it brushed up on, uh, but even certain structural uh, elements. you know movements uh, of course the ending <laughs> helps move away from that a little bit but one of the things that i noticed about it being like joker is like uh, you it opens on a situation where you see someone in a not great situation you know it's to varying degrees Uh, then it goes towards something happening uh that starts to kind of swing towards what is at least portrayed as like a good thing so like and this is going to technically spoil a little bit of joker there's almost i mean so at at this point uh this might be a good time to just quit listening if you haven't watched the joker but you've watched this and uh i i I hope that one day we do do an episode on joker as well maybe a little bit more removed where we can come back to it and see uh you know if it was great for its own reasons or if it was great because of stuff happening around it who knows um but Uh, in the joker that's portrayed as like you know the the thing happens to him and it breaks him but him breaking is sold to you as a good thing uh, at least through his eyes because it gives him this confidence and whatnot that you see throughout the movie and then in this family you see this one move turn around it's like oh this is a good thing we're all finally getting into this job but then that immediately starts crashing down with the realization of a couple of different things and then it all culminates in the people again when we're looking at this through the lens of like class disparity uh, which is clearly a big theme of the joker, uh though that's also kind of intertwined with mental health and how that ties into class disparity mm-hmm. uh but in this one, sure. I'd even say that mental health is uh, somewhat responsible for the penultimate scene of both movies uh, where Mr. Kim stabs Mr. Park uh, very abruptly. Uh, and then in and, and the Joker, you also see the same thing. It's, it's, the, it's the person who's on the lowest end of the totem pole uh, retaliating against the person who's on the high end of the totem pole. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, interesting that both of them end in like, you know, in a sense, people that they looked up to like, definitely the Joker. And it's, like, finding a way to eventually swing them over into acting in a way that uh, surprised you, at least from the interactions at the beginning of the movie. Um, I thought that was interesting because of the fact that this was not two movies in America. So this is obviously looking at cultural things from a different thing, and it really shows something on a more worldwide scale of a problem that everybody is kind of aware of. But it's good to see media in another from another territory uh, show something that is so... Uh, relatable even outside of their boundaries for the most part yeah that's a great observation
2: yeah absolutely what about you joshua did you have any closing thoughts um i mean i feel
1: like we've pretty much touched on everything i can think of uh although we kind of glossed over the the proper ending of this movie a little bit i don't know if there's anything for us to discuss there as far as if it's open-ended if it feels conclusive if maybe we got kind of different things out of how the movie ended oh he's uh he's reading the letter he's you know he's like he's interpreting the morse code, code and then he's uh he's reading his letter to his dad and it feels kind of at least for me i kind of read it as unresolved as to whether we saw a glimpse into the future and that was for sure going to happen or if that was just how he was envisioning it but He is still in present day and it's still kind of leaving on this uh this down note of uncertainty. Um I'm curious what you guys thought. Sure. I don't know how we forgot to
0: mention the ending too. That that ties back into my Joker thing of for a Mm. split second, the movie ties into this thing of are we seeing the future? as it's actually happening or is this a, an unreliable narrator of what they wish is going to happen right <clears throat> and I, I thought yeah i thought that was really interesting because if for a little while i thought the same thing i said this is the end okay that's great and it's it's kind of like a weird ending that you're kind of happy again it brings you back to just rooting for the family but mm-hmm. then it's left on this very open nature of like well does that really happen or or not
3: yeah
2: yeah, see I take it as a dream or like a hope or a wish kind of envisioned in his mind, but it could very well be like a a glimpse into the future. You know, we just don't know. Yeah. We'll have to wait for Parasite Two. <laughs> <laughs> Electric I think this will be a oh, don't. No more. a long running franchise. <laughs>
3: the Parasite expanded universe. See-
1: yeah, the Parasite MCU. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I want some tie in Disney plus uh, shows. <laughs> But real quick, I thought I would ask, um, do we know what we're going to do next week's episode on (laughs) before I close out and mention what we're going to do next week?
0: Let's (laughs) roll the dice. We totally forgot to... Well, thankfully, you can hear the dulcet sweet tones while Chris does the dice roll. Um, Yeah. And eventually, I I guess we should go ahead and say that I think we all agree that uh, as this, if this show does pick up steam and there's people that listen along, uh, we would love to start getting audience participation as to what they think we should watch next. Uh, That way we can kind of all go through that. So that's definitely a hope of mine as well. Uh, Because this, again, brings me back to the thing of I don't honestly know if I would have watched Parasite without this podcast being a catalyst for me to go out and experience it. And I'm glad I did, just like I was with Scarface. It's like, you know. i I don't know that i ever would have watched scarface had it not been for this so i hope that that's what other people are finding maybe they've come in on an episode that's a movie that they enjoy and they hear our thoughts and have their own and then it kind of urges them to go like you know what Uh, yeah i'm gonna watch the movie along with them and then kind of cross-reference what we think and hopefully it'll do for others what it's done to me which has given me a new appreciation for movies and a new way to kind of go about watching them absolutely
3: yeah absolutely uh, I will say about the ending, I don't think the ending was real. I think it was a fantasy. I think mm. The kid is borderline insane, and I don't even know if he saw the Morse code. But regardless, mm. if you take everything as fact, nobody aged. <clears throat> so there's no way mm. that was real. Yeah, that's very it's true. It's not
0: clear how long that passed, but yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, he had different hair. And what's funny, the only time you see a difference is in that flash forward to the future when suddenly everybody suddenly like actually looks different
3: they look different but not really because i remember that scene starting and i go how the fuck did he graduate and get a job and get all that money so fast? <laughs> you know for that mansion right
0: well i'm glad you brought up and I, I don't know how i actually forgot about that as well it's it's funny when you're trying to go through and and speak on all the things you do which the movie's very fresh for me i've had very little time to process it, uh, process it. i just watched it today um uh, I'm glad you brought up the borderline insane thing because what pre- what precedes all this is the revelation that he's had brain surgery due to the wrong mm-hmm. thing he's laughing at his sister's death so again it' like I say, it taps into the whole joker idea of like is this just an unreliable narrator at this yeah point? maybe
3: that wasn't even real at all. Wait, are
0: you saying that Parasite is a prequel to Joker? Because that would... <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> we learned that the DC Universe actually was the people who funded Parasite. That would be so good. The real Parasite was the friends we made along the way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, what would you get for next week? I got, John Morrow please,
3: The Lighthouse. Ooh, All right. That's oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm down Because I
0: actually really, really wanted to watch that movie. So... Again, it's great when it gets to be something that now I have a, a, a better reason to watch. Yeah, it. right. I'm a little apprehensive, honestly,
1: because yeah. I, I saw it in theaters and I was like, oh my God, it's it's exhausting, but in a good way. Like, I'm mm. I, I'm excited.
0: Okay. How long ago did you watch it? Out of uh, curiosity. Maybe like three months ago. Um so I, I was more curious if, if you if you felt the need to rewatch it. Like you know, I, wonder, I wonder if that's a thing we're ever going to run across, is where someone's watched the movie uh, inadvertently very close to when we're talking about it, and if they choose to rewatch mm-hmm. it or trying to and recall. I think it'd be obviously best to rewatch yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Me and Haley watched it when it came out on Voodoo, which I want to say was like January fifteenth or something like that. Mm. So mm. I'm gonna rewatch it again. I I think I'll, I'd always want to rewatch close. You know, unless I accidentally watched it
3: the day before we chose it. You know, right? But. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I saw it in theaters, so I have to. All
2: right. Well, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, you can catch us on Twitter at. Let me find it real quick because I wasn't able to get. There's another midweek matinee on Twitter, just to give everyone a heads up. You squad And it's um, ours is at matinee underscore midweek. The other is at midweek matinee. Don't choose that one. Um. Yeah, you can find us there. Or email us at midweekmatinee at gmail.com if you have any questions. Or, you know, if you just want to comment on a movie, we'll be happy to read them on the podcast whenever we record. So as long as we get...
0: And if you like anything outside of movies, like maybe you like video games, then come check out other NARTEK productions as this is in partnership with NARTEK. Go check out Triangle Squared. Uh, it's a, a weekly gaming podcast that is how I met Mr. Blake here and formed this wonderful friendship. Yes, absolutely. It was a pleasure, gentlemen, and I hope everybody enjoyed yeah. the episode. Yeah, young. thanks
2: a lot, guys.